Well, again, as I said earlier, we are in this series we are calling the Red Letter Challenge, and we are looking at these, uh, these words of Jesus and trying to put them into practice in our life. Uh, right now, would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord God, I pray that uh, the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think is together, we meditate on your will for us. Lord, I pray that uh, all these things would be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who forgives our sins and gives us a chance to forgive others too. Amen. So why is it that these red letters of Jesus are so important? Well, obviously, studying and learning what Jesus taught the disciples when he was here is a good thing. But we need to take it a step further than that. Jesus said it this way. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine, and then, he said, and puts them into practice, will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. In other words, Jesus is saying is we, we really want a solid foundation in our lives. If we really want to feel like our lives are built on something that will last, we need to study the words of Jesus, learn them, and then do something about them. And so that's what we're going to be doing over these weeks as we study during this Red Letter Challenge. Last week, we spent about a week just learning that, first of all, it starts with just being. I loved how the, the book said this. It said, you can't do what Jesus is calling you to do if you haven't first learned to be with Jesus. And we looked at how when Jesus first called his disciples, uh, the first thing he had them do was to just hang out with him, just get to know him, uh, learn to be with him. And God invites us into that relationship with him. Everything we say and do in this life first must flow from God's love and God's grace in our lives. It all starts with God and his work for us. And so we've learned to do things like rest and celebrate and worship and read his word, all different ways to be with Jesus. But now, like I said before, it gets a little tougher because now Jesus is going to ask us to start doing some things in response to his love. And this week, we're going to focus on this concept of forgiveness. Now, folks, we live in a very divided world, don't we? And in fact, it seems like almost day after day, the world gets more divided if you look at socioeconomically here in our country, the, the gap between the poor and the rich seems to be growing wider and wider every day. If you pay attention to the news at all, you know that uh, where it used to be the Democrats and Republicans disagreed on some things, but there was at least some sort of mutual respect, an idea that we needed to try to work together. It seems like that's gone, isn't it? And now they're just at each other's throats. And by the way, if you want to participate in that, all you got to do is put a post on Facebook, and I'm pretty sure some of your friends won't like it, right? I mean, that's kind of the way life works these days. Politics divides us. We are more divided maybe on racial issues than ever before. All the hard work that seems to have gone on in our country to try to reconcile racial issues together, in some ways it almost feels like that's all going out the window these days as, as we see more and more divided. And even, even in our personal relationships, it seems like it's harder and harder to keep families together, to keep friendships together. Maybe worst of all, right here in our own church, there is something that divides us deeply. There are Bears and Packer fans in this congregation. And it's got to stop. No, I'm kidding. I had to say something funny at the end of that list, right? 
I mean, I mean, the reality is, it does seem like our world is more divided than ever. And I would submit to you that Jesus' plan to fix that is very simple, and it's found in this concept of forgiveness. You see, if, if we can learn to be as forgiving of one another as God is of us, then the things that divide us can be conquered. But we've got to learn to forgive. And so we're starting this week of forgiveness with Jesus' words, a, a, an encounter he had with one of his disciples. And we're going to take a look at those words together, and God is going to challenge us to this week to learn to put that forgiveness into practice in our lives. Now, it started uh, with Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, coming to Jesus, and Peter had a question for Jesus. He said, he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Now, we're not told what prompted this question. We don't know whether this was just an academic exercise for Peter or whether there was something real that had happened in his life that had led him to ask this question. I like to imagine it's the second of those. Like, here's what I imagine. His brother Andrew borrows Peter's sandals and then gives them back two days later and they're all messed up. They're all muddy and everything. And Peter's like, I can't believe you did this. And Andrew's like, hey, 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 Jesus said you got to forgive me. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh, all right, I forgive you. And then a week later, Andrew does it again. And Peter's like, that's it. I'm talking to Jesus. I want to know how many times I got to forgive, right? Now, we don't, again, we don't know what the circumstances were, but here's an interesting thing that we do know. The rabbis of the day taught that you should forgive someone three times. And then they said you should not forgive people beyond three times because if you do that, you're just letting people take advantage of you. So, so the teaching of the day was three times forgive, then no more, so you are not taken advantage of. Now, so look at what Peter does. Now, Peter knows that Jesus seems to always try to take things further than the rabbis of the day, that, that Jesus is motivated differently than the rabbis of the day. So Peter thinks, I'm going to get in Jesus' good graces here. I'm going to show that I'm really very magnanimous. And he says, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? How about seven times? Peter's thinking, what, three times? Double it three times? Add one more for good measure? Seven, that's got to be. Jesus is going to look at me and go, oh, Peter, Wow. You're listening. You got a big heart, Peter. That's awesome. Good job, man. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus looks at Peter and he says this. He says, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Now, by the way, some of your Bible translations may say 70 times seven, and, and that's a possible translation too, but I think the ESV that I'm using here gets it right at 77 times, and here's why I think that. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's connecting forgiveness to a story that Peter would have known very well to try to make a point. You see, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, right near the beginning of the book of Genesis, we're told about this feud that happened between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Do you remember that? And, uh, and Abel and Cain brought, brought sacrifices to God, and Abel brought a proper sacrifice to God, and God accepted it, and Cain brought some leftovers to God, and God didn't accept it, so Cain was jealous of what Abel had done, and, and Cain kills his brother Abel. And then God says to Cain, here's going to be the result of what you've done. You're going to be banished, and you're going to have to be in exile. And Cain says, that, that's too great for me to bear. People are going to see me, and they're going to kill me. And God says, no, I won't let that happen. 
I'm going to put a mark on you, and I'm going to make it known that if anyone harms you, I will do seven times over to them what they do to you. And then Cain has some descendants, and one of them is a man named Lamech. And and look at what it says in Genesis chapter 4. Lamech said, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And then he kind of takes a shot at God a little. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then my revenge, Lamech's revenge, is 77-fold. In other words, what he is literally saying here is, there is no limit to my anger and revenge against anyone that hurts me. That's the point he's trying to make. Now, Peter would have known that story well. So literally what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you know, don't get out your abacus and count to 77 and then you don't have to forgive anymore. Jesus is saying, do you remember that guy Lamech? Do you remember how he said, my revenge and anger against anyone who hurts me is going to be limitless? He says, so shall your, your love and forgiveness for people be limitless. What Jesus is literally saying is there should be no limit to our willingness to forgive others. It's a pretty high standard, isn't it? And then to help us figure out how to make that possible in our lives, Jesus tells a story. And the story goes like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, in other words, he says, if you're going to be one of my followers, if you are going to be one of my disciples, if you're going to live as a part of God's kingdom, he says, then it's like this. It's a man who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now let me give you a little perspective on that, okay? A talent in those days was a measure of silver or gold. And uh, so let's pick silver. Uh, A 10,000 talents would be equal to about 375 tons of silver. Now I went online this week and and I... Thursday afternoon, silver was $210.64 a pound. So you multiply that out times 375 tons of silver, that's 150, just about $158 million this guy owes the king. It's a huge sum of money. How in the world is it possible that he owed the king this much money? Student loans. No, it wasn't that. We, we, we don't know. I mean, we, we have no idea how he came to owe the king this much money. But maybe he was embezzling from the king. Maybe he just kept taking out loans for the king and the interest got the best of him. We, we don't know. But somehow he owes this king just millions of dollars. By the way, uh, if, you, if you figure it based on the gold standard of the time and now, it's actually more. It's like billions of dollars. It's a crazy amount of money. Or here's another way to think of it. Uh, A talent equaled about 20 years of wages for the average worker. So that means if he was really going to work to pay off this loan, it would take him 200,000 years to pay off this loan. Impossible. And so the king says to this man, since you can't pay me, I'm going to do what it's my right to do. I'm going to order you and your family to be sold into slavery. I'm going to take all your possessions and I'm going to sell them to, to try to recoup some of my losses here, to try to get you know, a chunk of my money back from you. Now, now, by the way, that was the normal thing to be done in those days. The king isn't being cruel. He's simply following the rules. It'd be just like if you didn't make your mortgage payment, eventually you know, you're going to get evicted and your house is going to get um, foreclosed on. Or if you don't make your car payment, the car's going to get repossessed. That's just how things happened in those days. You got sold into slavery. All your possessions were sold to try to pay off the debt. That's what the king decides. It's within his rights to do, and he's going to do. 
the man throws himself before the king and he asks for mercy. I love this. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, now that you know how much he owed him, how likely is it that he was going to pay him everything? Not very. It wasn't going to happen. There's no way. He's not being sincere. There's no way he could have possibly repaid the king. But the king does an amazing thing. In fact, I would argue the king does three amazing things. It says, out of pity for him, the master of of the servant released him and forgave his debt. So think about it. What it says here is the king was moved with compassion for him. He had compassion on the man. He released the man. And he forgave the man his debt. Three things. And and I would argue that Jesus is trying to teach us three steps towards forgiveness as well. And I want to use the rest of the message time I have with you this morning to just look together at these three things that Jesus tells us to do. Let's start with the first one. The king had compassion on the man. Now, now, by the way, I'm not not one of those guys that likes to teach you the original Greek words, but I just got to teach you this one, okay? Because the word here for compassion is literally this word splankna. How about that? Try that, say that with me, splankna. There you go, you know a cool Greek word now, okay? Splankna literally means guts. Do you remember in the second Star Wars movie, the, well, yeah, the second one that came out, the, the what is that, the fifth one in the, I, I don't know, anyway, but, you know, you know the one where Luke is going to freeze to death, and so he takes his lightsaber and he cuts open the, this thing and the guts spill out, that's splankna, okay, all right? And what literally it's talking about here, to feel compassion for someone, is to get that feeling in your gut for someone when you see something bad about to happen to them. I I get that. Do you ever watch America's Funniest Videos? You know, and the idiot's riding his bike down the stairs, and you just know he's wiping out, and and he goes in the air, and you're like, oh, this is not going to end well. And you get that little (gasps) in your gut, you know, for him. That's what it is. It's this, it's this idea of feeling compassion for someone. Maybe the best way to talk about it in our modern-day languages is you feel empathy for someone. You, you, you feel what they are feeling. You understand their circumstance. I love this quote from uh, Miroslav Volf, a professor of theology at Yale University. He says this. He says, forgiveness flounders. In other words, my forgiveness fails Because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. In other words, what he's saying is, to to kind of put it in non-professor terms, is my forgiveness fails when I think the best of myself and the worst of you. Let me give you a kind of, uh, you know, innocuous uh, example of that. Imagine you just got cut off by somebody in traffic, Okay. Instantly, what are you thinking? I know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this guy's an idiot and he doesn't know how to drive. This guy's probably on his cell phone, not paying attention. And uh, he's lucky he didn't hit me because I would have sued him for everything he's got, right? Okay? That's, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking about that person. Now, flip it around. Imagine you just accidentally cut someone off in traffic. What are you thinking? Well, I'm a really good driver. That never happens. I'm having a really bad day, and I had this thing going on at work, and I was thinking about that, you know, so no big deal, right? You see what I just did? I put the worst construction on that guy's actions. I assumed he's a bad driver who doesn't care about anybody else and lets himself get distracted by his phone. But when I did the exact same thing, I'm like, I'm a good driver. I'm fine. That, That was just a weird thing. You know, give me a break, buddy, you know? We do that all the time, and we do that all the time with things a lot worse 
than just getting cut off in traffic. We, we, we are quick to judge others, but we expect it to be treated with mercy ourselves. Folks, forgiveness does the opposite. Forgiveness always starts with compassion, with empathy for the person you need to forgive. Forgiveness understands that we are all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And and no matter what someone has done to you, the the reality is you've done stuff to others too. Forgiveness starts with having compassion, and the king in Jesus' story had compassion on the man. Next, the king released him. He lets him go. He says, okay, I'm not going to throw you into prison. You're, You're free to go. Folks, how often do you and I not hold on to things that have been done to us for dear life? And we refuse to let them go. A number of years ago, um, here at Trinity, there was another person on the staff uh, together with me, and the two of us just seemed to butt heads all the time. And uh, it, it just seemed like no matter what we did, we, we just had trouble working together. And, and we were trying, but it just wasn't working out. And finally, God solved the problem. He called that person away uh, to another ministry. Um, but as that person left, they did some pretty bad things. They said some pretty nasty things about me and our church and um, threatened some legal action and things like that. And, and honestly, I was having trouble forgiving that person. I was holding on to what had been done. And it'd be interesting because over the next few years, I'd run into that person places. You know, I'd see them at a conference or things like that. And that per- they'd walk up to me with this grin on their face like nothing had happened. Hey, Mark, how you doing? It's good to see you. And I'm like, you jerk. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that on the outside, but on the inside, that's what I was thinking. Like, how can you act like nothing happened after what you did? And after a while, God... God kept working at me, and he finally helped me to realize, who was I hurting by hanging on to that? Not him. He didn't care. He didn't even realize he'd done anything wrong, I don't think. I was hurting myself. By holding on to that pain, by holding on to that that grudge, that that need to be vindicated, it was just tearing me up. Folks, I think sometimes the reason God wants us to forgive others is more for us than anything else. He knows the freedom that can come from just letting it go, from from forgiving, for, for releasing that person. So the king lets him go, but it doesn't stop there. The king also says, not only am I going to let you go, I'm not going to throw you into prison, but you know what I'm also going to do? I'm taking your debt and I'm tearing it up. You don't owe me a dime anymore. Your debt is forgiven. Now, I want you to think about that from the master's perspective for a moment. We always think about it from the guy's position. He's like, wow, that's great. Wow, I'm I'm forgiven. I I don't owe the king anymore. What a... What a relief that must have been for him. But think about it from the master's position. Guess what? That was costly for that master to do. Now, I know he was never going to get his, you know, uh, $980 million back or whatever it was. But he was going to get a good chunk back by selling that guy and his family into slavery. He was going to get a good chunk back by selling that guy's home and his possessions. He was going to get a chunk of his money back. But the king willingly just writes it off. 
Forgiveness sometimes is costly. Folks, I tell you that because God's, God's encouragement to forgive can be very freeing for us, but it often does come at a cost. It's hard. We are, we are, we are truly letting go of something where someone legitimately hurt us. And, and we're, gonna, we're just going to act like it didn't happen, and, and that, there's a cost to that. And God recognizes that, and that's why it's part of Jesus' story. So then why should you do it? I mean, if forgiveness really is costly, then why should you forgive? Well, I would remind you that if forgiveness is costly, that means not only is our forgiveness of others costly, but God's forgiveness of us was costly too. Paul puts it this way in his first letter to the church at Corinth. He he says to them, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. I want you to think about what price Jesus paid for you. I mean, first of all, he left heaven, right? I mean, that in and of itself had to be unbelievable. He left the joys of heaven to come to this earth with all of its faults and failings. He became a human being for us. And then, if that wasn't enough, he he lived that perfect life up to a point where he went to the cross, and on the cross, he gave his life for you and for me. And it wasn't just physical death he experienced, but spiritual death, too. I mean, this thing that we know as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, together before all time is fractured and broken on the cross for us. Jesus gave everything. The price he paid was his his life, his relationship with his Father. He gave everything so that you and I could be forgiven. So that we could be restored in our relationship with our God. And so if that's the price that has been paid for us, that's the price we should be willing to pay for others. I love how Jesus ends this story. He's got one little lesson left. The guy walks out after he's just been forgiven this debt of millions and millions and millions of dollars, something he could never repay. He's just been forgiven, and he walks out, and he sees a guy that owes him, we're told, 100 denarii. Now, a denarii was about a day's wages. So we're talking about a little more than three months' wages, not an insignificant amount of money. Think about what you make in three months. So not insignificant, but certainly nothing like the debt that this guy had just been forgiven. And what does he do? I want you to imagine something a minute. I want you to think for a minute, pretend that last night you found out you just won the Mega Millions Lottery. You're a multimillionaire. And you came to church this morning, and somebody walked up to you and said, hey, you, you lent me 15 bucks for my Red Letter Challenge book. I got it. Here it is. Here's the 15 bucks. What would you say to them? Forget it. I'm a millionaire. I could, I could buy you a million Red Letter Challenge books, you know? No, don't worry about it, right? That's what you would do. You're not going to take 15 bucks when you just got millions. See, here's the thing. The point Jesus is trying to help us understand is the reason this guy throws this guy on the ground and demands he be paid is he's still acting like he owes the king money. Because that's how you'd act if you owed him, right? If the king had said, okay, I'm going to let you go, but you got to start paying me back as fast as you can, then you would walk out of there and this guy owes you money. I need it. I need it now because i got to give it to him, right? That's how he acts. In other words, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is often when we are not willing to pay the price to forgive others, it's because we don't really believe we've been forgiven. We don't really understand the depth of God's forgiveness for us. Folks, the secret to forgiving others is focusing on how much you have been forgiven, 
Because when we come to understand the depth of what we've been forgiven, it's no longer a struggle to forgive others. We can be We can be free with our forgiveness of others when we realize just how much forgiveness God has given to us. So here's your challenge for this week. Who's that person that, like that guy I told you about before for me, that you just haven't forgiven? They they probably did something really bad to you. And you just can't let go. Look, here's my prayer. My prayer is this week, as you read the words of Jesus, as as you study this, that you will, for the first time, find freedom from that. That you will truly be able to let go. That you'll feel compassion. That you will forgive. I pray that through Jesus' name. Amen.